but it's the only case that we have seen. This means that might be we have overlooked cases before. I don't know, retrospective studies will tell us, but it looks like that PCB3 is a pathogen, can cause disease, but we do not really know which is the frequency in which this disease is caused. Hello, I'm Peter Best. Welcome to Meet the Expert, the series on swine health management in practice brought to you by Beringer Ingelheim. In this episode, we're going to discuss porcine circoviruses, including a form that's only been described in the last few years for the first time, PCV3. For expertise on this question, we're looking to Professor Joachim Segalis, the veterinary pathologist and specialist in swine diseases, who is professor in the Department of Animal Health and Anatomy in the Faculty of Veterinary Medicine at the UAB University in Barcelona and a researcher at Spain's Kreiser Center for Animal Health Research. Professor Seglas, welcome and thank you for talking to us on Meet the Expert. Thank you very much, Peter. I have to say, circoviruses in pigs, suddenly there seem to be more of them than I thought. Uh, for some years I thought PCV1 occurred commonly on farms without causing disease and PCV2 was the cause of this post-weaning multi-systemic wasting syndrome, PMWS. But over the far last few years, we've got this PCV3. And can we say with confidence that we got three species of the porcine circovirus circulating on swine farms internationally or are there more than three? Well, definitively, there's more than three. Uh, PCB2, as you indicated, it was discovered as a, as a cell contaminant in the PK15 cells a long time ago. It was back to the, the 70s and the 80s. And suddenly, uh, it was observed that the pigs had antibodies against that particular virus, but no disease associated. So it was soon considered that what we nowadays call PCB21, it was non-pathogenic for swine. As you perfectly indicated, PCB2 was discovered uh, much lately, but was uh, by the end of the 90s, but it was linked to clear disease, the, the so-called uh, Pozzini multisystemic wasting syndrome, nowadays PCV2 systemic disease, in which uh, since then uh, it, it has been one of the most important diseases in swine, even it's very well controlled by means of vaccination. But by 2015, and using uh, a very interesting technique, which is next generation sequencing, that allows sequencing previously unknown uh, uh, sequences of viruses or even other pathogens, we discovered the existence of PCB3. It was in the, uh, in the United States, but uh, when uh, then uh, we developed techniques, especially molecular biology techniques like PCR, to detect the PCV3, we soon realized that PCV3 is distributed all over the world. Amazingly, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, in China, it was discovered PCV4, type 4. And this type 4, it's, uh, it's far away from PCV2 and PCV1, especially, and also PCV3. So it's a clearly distinct species of PCV. Uh, of PCV. However, uh, we tried to find it in, uh, in Spain and Italy, in Italy, together with one colleague from the University of Padua, Dr. Giovanni Franzo, and we, was, uh, we were unable to find PCV4 
in Spain and Italy. However, the set of samples examined was uh, limited. However, it looks like that in China it has been detected several times and even in some other Asian countries. So it's very likely that if we are looking for enthusiasm, we will find PCB4 in other parts of the world. And this means that probably in the future, other PCBs may be found as well, especially when using techniques like next generation sequencing. So uh, my my guess is that probably PCB4 will not be the last PCB that we know nowadays. We got better at detecting these things and we're finding more because we're better at finding them. Yes, okay, I'm with you so far. And then of course, diversity is the word with circoviruses in pigs, isn't it? Because, you know, as you've been describing to me in another conversation, PCV2 exists in a variety of genotypes and they sort of compete with one another to be the dominant form. So just round up for me, how many, we got four known species. Now, forgive me, I'm bad at the difference between species, genotype, variants, subgroups, all these other things. But as far as I can say, there's four species and then within the one called PCV2, there are, there is a range of genotypes. So that that would be how many genotypes in PCV2 do we know today? Yeah, you are completely right. Uh, we have four species of PCV, and within PCV2, we have at least uh, proposed nine different genotypes. From name it from the letter A until letter I, and in fact, in PCV3. It has been so far uh, proposed PCB2 or PCB3A, but there are some suspicions of a potential PCB3B. So, uh, however, oh. the big difference, the big difference with PCB3 is that it's a much a slower uh, virus compared to PCB2. So the mutation rate of PCB3 is much, much lower than PCB2. And even PCB1 is, has also a low mutation rate compared to PCB2. So, so far, PCB2 is the most variable PCB that we know so far. And they're not, not closely related, or did I misunderstand you? I know, again, sorry, but I thought the PCB2 was only 60% genetically related to PCV1, uh, which I don't know whether that's still the sort of level that we're talking about, which isn't very close relationship. And these others are not genetically related to each other anymore to, or to PCV2. They're, they're quite distinct, are they? Uh, so have they occurred as a result of mutation of of PCV2, for example, or have they occurred separately? Have they emerged separately? Well, in, in fact, uh, you are right. PCV2 and PCV1 are fairly similar, but fairly similar it means uh, at the amino acid level of 70%, no more than that. But if you compare with PCV3 and PCV2, this similarity is of 40%, is even much, much lower. In fact, some phylogenetic studies propose that PCV1 and PCV2 had a common ancestor. And common ancestor, it means that might be 100 years ago, because it has been more or less uh, time at, uh, in 100 years, and start with a diverging uh, kind of evolution. Uh, it's very likely that with PCV3, it could have been even in a, in a different ancestor or even a much 
let's say much uh, oh, much yeah. older ancestor yeah. so from this point of view uh, uh, the the relationship with them at the very end is basically because they have a very similar molecular uh, organization and as well all of them of course are circular uh, dna viruses even the length in terms of nucleotides is different or relatively different especially when you are talking about pcb3 respect pcb1 and pcb2 which are much much similar in terms of number of nucleotides as well so it's clear that there's a divergent number of pcbs and for the reason is what i told you before uh, i believe new ones will appear in the future because every day we are much more fine in terms of sequencing, in terms of knowing the unknown, which is what next generation sequencing provides to a certain degree. So this is very likely that will happen. However, to trace back the most common ancestor of those viruses could be a very difficult task. I, I'm going to then pursue the diversity a little bit longer and I'm going back to the genotypes of PCV2 initially. Um, do, does this diversity of PCV2 genotypes, is it something seen everywhere in the world simultaneously, everywhere the pigs are produced, or only in certain locations or at different times? So, uh, are, are these things sort of naturally occurring simultaneously? Well, it's, it's difficult to answer this particular question because uh, the different PCBs uh, can be found in a, in a given country or even in a given region or in a given farm even uh, at the same time. However, by, by terms of frequency, PCB2 A, B and D are the most frequent one. And if you have to top them, uh, the type D is number one nowadays in most parts of the world, not in all, in some uh, PCB2B is a still the most frequent one, but the, after D, there's B and finally A. And then the other genotypes so far have been found to a much lower frequency. This means, and we, we know since at least more than 20 years, that one single pig can be infected with two genotypes, two different genotypes. Mm. And this could happen in one single pig. And this is the reason why we can get recombinants of uh, PCBs recombinants between A and B, A and D, B and D, and others. Uh, and even we, we know that under field conditions, even very limited, certain recombinant, recombinant forms may be detected as well. Uh, however, anyway, those three genotypes are the most frequent ones. Uh, and this is what it can be expected in the future if you are going to a particular farm and you try to the sequence the viruses found there, you may find whatever of them because it's one particular farm and then it's very difficult to um, predict which particular genotype will be found. But even it would not be surprising in, a, in one single farm to find the three major genotypes. This could be perfectly possible. As long as you are looking widely in the farm, you may find them. Now you've indicated to me that vaccination at the moment, uh, PCV2 vaccination, is being effective against the genotypes that we're meeting today. Uh, would there be any chance that it could also be protective against other circovirus species, or is that impossible? Based on the similarity between the different uh, PCV uh, species, probably this is not feasible. So PCV2 vaccines protect against the existing PCV2 genotypes, but will not protect against PCV3, for example, or PCV4, 
and even with PCV1. Maybe it could be some more cross uh, cross uh, immunity with PCV1 because are the closest ones, but probably would not protect. But anyway, PCV1 is considered non-pathogenic, presumably. So from this point of view, do not expect protection against PCV3, which would be the most important one, probably. Let me pause for a moment to remind everyone that more information on this conversation, like articles, publications and videos, can be found on the website pers.com. Now, you said in PCV2 that we're looking at, so far, two genotype shifts. One uh, before the year 2000, I think, where therefore before we had PCV2 vaccines, where I think the shift was it from A to B or some, uh, I think so. And then uh, in about 2012, you had the second shift in the vaccine area. Uh, and that shift was towards this dominant form 2D. Uh, can I ask you, what are the drivers of genotype shift? You're a, a veterinary pathologist, but I'd like you to just uh, explain to me why do, how do genotypes compete and how does one become the dominant one? Well, I would enjoy having a good answer for that question, Peter, but I, I'm afraid I don't have it. Sorry. Uh, Sorry. Because uh, I, I, as we have been discussing, from an epidemiological point of view, those two genotype shifts, um, understood them as, as a global change, they have occurred. And the first one coincided with the increase in the, in the frequency of severe cases of PCV2 systemic disease. And this was one of the issues that uh, promotes uh, uh, a thinking line on the possibility that PCV2 B could be more pathogenic than PCV2 A. But the truth is that when you are comparing them under experimental settings able to reproduce the disease, those differences are not clear. So the real cause of this genotype shift from A to B is really not understood might be PCV2B could have better fitness and replicate better in, in piglets that A. Well, this is again speculative, but we do not really have the answer for that. The same happened with the second genotype shift because when we start vaccinating in a massive way, which was starting in 2008, 9, 10 especially, then we observed this genotype shift around 2012, 13, etc. and coincide with this advent of massive vaccination. Again, one may say, might be vaccines are able to, I wouldn't say protect, but might be react better against PCV2B than D. Even D is a kind of evolution from PCV2B. So from this point of view, this is a quite potential explanation. So immune, the immunological base here would be very important, but again, it has not been fully demonstrated because the PCV2 vaccines are based mostly in A and they are protecting against B and they are protecting against D. So a kind of uh, genetic or immunological uh, advantage should be present. However, to date, we have not been able to demonstrate, at least in a clear-cut form. Right. Uh, have we any evidence at all, Kim, that uh, we've allowed certain genotypes to evade or escape the immunity caused by vaccination? How, you know, have we favoured 
somehow these these sorts well what we know nowadays is that uh, there are some uh, antigenic differences between the genotypes and if you are working with monoclonal antibodies you are able to uh, find monoclonal antibodies that are able to neutralize one genotype and not another so from an immunological point of view there are differences among genotypes however in general terms when there's a natural infection you have a polyclonal response a polyclonal response from a humanal point of view and you have also cellular immune response so what we believe nowadays is that those changes in particular epitopes are not sufficient to uh, avoid the protection or the immune protection provided by the vaccine so far of course we do not really know if in the future we can create or um, escape mutants can be created spontaneously so far i believe do not exist and we have never ever demonstrated so far their existence to date for the reason it's important to monitor pcb2 and pcb2 sequences because it's very important to know what's going on at each time which genotype is the most prevalent and if there's a kind of genotype shift especially thinking on a potential new genotype not able to be protected sufficiently by the vaccines however if this happens the most logical way of thinking is that we should observe something at the clinical level and i would like to back importantly to that part because i insist we, we it looks like that we are focusing a lot on the virus on the genotypes on the mutations on the potential the genotype shifts but who is telling us the answer is the pig the pig should tell you how they feel how they produce how they uh, grew etc etc this is the most important issue that will tell us that something is going on remember in, uh, back into the late 90s we were in front of a new disease because pigs told us hey i'm suffering wasting i have some other lesions that i have never seen uh, before and it's not purse it's not other diseases which are known etc so we should expect the cut of clinical signal as well uh, if we are just focusing on the virus exclusively and not with the host probably we are wrong we, we have to follow up all both at the same time is the pig telling us at the moment that uh, it's being affected differently by pcv3 than by pcv2 well PCV3, uh, it's again a quite ubiquitous virus, or at least is worldwide distributed. But what it's able to cause PCV3 is not entirely clear. Let me explain. Uh, in fact, there are a number of groups in the world that they have been publishing information about PCV3, and you will see a number of uh, scientific papers in which say PCV3 associated with a particular condition. In most of the cases, this word association associated is probably understood wrongly because one thing is pcv3 found in a sick pig okay we can find pcv3 in a sick pig and we can find pcv3 in a healthy pig like pcv2 so the point here is that to find pcv2 in a pig doesn't preclude you have disease you have to fit with the diagnostic criteria that we have been discussing elsewhere with pcv3 we need again diagnostic criteria when should we consider that pcv3 is able to cause real disease and nowadays we have seen that in most of the cases pcv3 cause subclinical infections or at least we cannot really associate clinical signs 
with such infection. The best way to at least propose, and I said propose, that one virus is able to cause one disease is at least to see the disease associated with certain lesions and the lesions associated with a particular virus. And with PCV3, we have observed that at a reproductive level, there is a kind of association. We have observed reproductive problems, sometimes with mummies, sometimes with stillborn piglets, in which there are some lesions, mainly periarteritis, which are linked and clearly associated with PCV2, where the, uh, PCV3, excuse me, where the lesions are. So it looks like that at least the reproductive stuff could be linked with PCV3 unequivocally. However, how frequent are those PCV3 reproductive problems? Nobody knows. In fact, uh, in the North America, where it has been described in a more extensive way, they shown a very nice work at Iowa State University in which several cases of PCV3 associated to lesions in those reproductive problems. And also, it has been observed PCV3 in animals suffering from myocarditis as well as systemic periarteritis. For example, in nursery pigs. However, again, the frequency in which those animals, which are diseased, because the clinical signs sometimes could be confused with PCV2 systemic disease, then there's a kind of, let's say, refined association with the virus, with some lesions, and with a clinical condition. But which is the frequency of this post-winning problem associated with PCV3? We have been uh, looking at cases here in Spain. We have never seen it. And very recently, we have observed one of those typical cases in which there's wasting, there's also a presence of periarteritis as well as myocarditis, and PCV3 in the lesions in one case in Portugal. But it's the only case that we have seen. This means that maybe we have overlooked cases before. I don't know, retrospective studies will tell us. But it looks like that PCV3 is a pathogen, can cause disease, but we do not really know which is the frequency in which this disease is caused. Now, with PCV2 and its association classically with PMWS, I always assumed the pig became infected from the mother, and that was really what would should be focusing on. Would, would that be the same automatically with PCV3, or could that be uh, something which was not maternal? Well, in fact, the, the systemic disease caused by PCV2 is not necessarily linked to the infection of the sow. You can have post-winning infection and develop the disease. Uh, a different thing is that uh, the, the sows have always been uh, uh, playing a, uh, a role because at the very end, there's infection in this collective and they may infect the younger animals and this can be, uh, of course, infecting the mates that they, you have in the, your nurseries. But it, you do not need to have infected sows to, to suffer from a PCV2 systemic disease. With PCV3, we have been observing that probably the most important clinical condition apparently associated is the reproductive one. So the infection of the sows looks like key here. What happened in these very sporadic cases of potential post-winning disease is something to be determined. I believe nowadays we do not have information enough about this condition because at the very end it could happen that this is just a post-winning infection or maybe it's a intrauterine infection 
or something that had occurred during the lactating period. We do not really have any clue on that. We, we have to think that with PCV3, we are in the very beginning of potential association of the virus with the disease, especially in terms of diagnosing disease uh, in, a, in a, let's say, more rutinary form. And although it doesn't evolve as uh, same speed as you've indicated as PCV2, a, a diversity of genotypes for PCV3 is not an impossibility, is it? Eventually, I think we're likely to find those as well, aren't we? That's correct. Uh, however, we have been sequencing PCV3 uh, quite intensely during the last few years, and it's amazing, but I would say that almost all sequences that we obtain are between 97, 98, 99% identical. So this means that the degree of variation in PCV3 is very, very, very low. And so far we have proposed that exists only one PCV3 uh, genotype. However, and when you look at the literature, you see that there are two sequences, only two, which are rather divergent, which came from China. And if those two uh, would be found elsewhere and in a more uh, frequency that the ones that they have been uh, found so far, it would constitute PCV3B, so a different genotype. In, in fact, uh, there's a very recent uh, publication from this week. They uh, pointed out that might be there are even more than those two sequences which are divergent from the current PCV3A genotype. But this is something that we have to look in the future because, as I told you, the mutation rate is much, much lower. So we do not expect the high variability that we see in PCV2 for PCV3. But, of course, we have to give time on that. But probably we will not get that. Yes. Now, time is our problem today, by the way. We're going to have to finish this shortly. I, I regret to say very much. I have to ask you about wild boar. I know you, you were due to have in, in Spain, weren't you, an international symposium on wild boar about the time when you and I are talking. Uh, now, of course, wild boar have been in the headlines because of African swine fever, but I had seen somewhere that porcine circoviruses do occur in wild boar. Uh, is this significant? Uh, is this only PCV2? are you know one of the genotypes of pcv2 where does wild boar fit into the circovirus story please yeah in fact the wild boar is fully susceptible to pcvs uh, and probably all pcvs uh, so far it has been demonstrated infection by pcv2 by pcv3 uh, the percentage of infection of the wild boar may vary even by age probably related to the the generation of immunity there are different genotypes of PCV2 that has been found in, in the wild boar, but we believe that the, the wild boar doesn't play a major role in the epidemiology of the PCVs. Uh, we, we, we must admit that PCVs are, are widespread in the, in the domestic pig population, and probably the wild boar were infected because of the domestic pig, and not the opposite way around, because oh, one may speculate always that the wild boar may serve as a reservoir for a number of diseases, but take into account the prevalences that you may find in one and the other, probably uh, wild boar doesn't represent a real risk for PC, uh, for, for the domestic swine in terms of PCVs. Well, I'm very sorry that I'm afraid I, I have 
many, many more questions, but no more time. I'm sorry, Professor Seglis, thank you very much for your help about the growing diversity of circoviruses in pigs. Uh, it's very good to hear that our vaccines are, are still working to help us. Uh, it's good to know that the monitoring is happening to make sure that we're aware in advance what might come along the road, but it's not yet a cause for concern as far as I can hear. It's uh, certainly worth watching at the research level all the same. So may I say thank you indeed for your help in this podcast and uh, say th thanks to our viewers and our listeners for joining us in this Meet the, episode, Meet the Expert episode in which we've interviewed uh, Professor Joachim Segalis in Barcelona about porcine circoviruses and even more so the, the newer ones to me anyway, PCV3 and now PCV4. Um, if we have another podcast in a year's time, we'll probably add to that list again. But for the moment, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Kim Segalis. It was a great pleasure and goodbye. Just before you go, we hope you've enjoyed hearing our conversation with the most recent winners of the annual European PERS Research Awards. Bear in mind that next time, one of the winners could be you. Beringer Ingelheim is again providing three awards of €25,000 to fund the winning PERS research studies in Europe and is particularly interested in practical proposals. The deadline for submissions is the first day of July and more information can be found on the website PERS.com. We hope to hear from you.